Hey, welcome. It's Downtown, the podcast, episode number 105. And boys, is it a good one. Yes, indeed. Rich Kimball here with Carrie Haskell from the Zone Radio Studios in Bangor, Maine. Our daily show, Downtown, originates from here every weekday afternoon, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Zone Radio stations of Maine, streaming audio at our website, downtownwithrichkimball.com. We're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. A couple of dynamite guests for you this time around, both of them making their second appearance on the podcast. Actor Richard Schiff, well, you know him from Emmy Award-winning roles like Toby Ziegler on The West Wing and his work as Dr. Aaron Glassman on The Good Doctor. And Jeff Daniels, two-time Emmy Award winner, Tony nominee, Golden Globe nominee, movies, television, the Broadway stage, and music as well. And uh, Jeff Daniels, doing a lot, keeping very busy. He's got a new series in the works on Showtime. But he's also doing, has been doing weekly performances live and online from his home out in Michigan to benefit his theater, the Purple Rose Theater. One more left coming up next Monday night. But we had a great time talking to Jeff about these online concerts to benefit the theater, his work on uh, To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway, and much more, our conversation with Jeff Daniels. Jeff, third time on the show, which means uh, either we'll pay for you to get a, a show logo tattooed, or we'll teach you the secret handshake. <laughs> uh, I, I think the handshake's out right now, so yeah. I'll take the other one. Okay, well, that works for us. How are, you, how are you handling things during this interesting time in America? Well, it's... Um... I'm where I'm living here in Michigan, and my I got my two boys beside me. They live on either side, kind of a poor man's Kennedy compound. Um, <laughs> we live on a lake, so we're all kind of quarantined together. There's a grandchild. There's another one coming. And uh, we have uh, – there's about three acres or so, and uh, we, have, we have designed an 18-hole par-3 golf course. Uh, one club, seven iron, have at it. And it's fun. It's, it's keeping us sane. There you go. Well, uh, what is also helping out is that what you're doing Monday nights, you've done it the last two Mondays and the next two, online and unplugged a performance uh, from your home studio to benefit the Purple Rose Theater Company. And uh, we've seen the first two absolutely wonderful. Oh, it's nice of you. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting because, um, uh, you know, we'll go again Monday night and it's, it's kind of like doing a movie. Um, it's not being on stage. It's not you're not on stage and you know in, in a club, you know, 200 people or something. It's just one person behind the camera, and that's the trick. And so you find yourself as an actor, kind of going, "Oh, I know how to do this. Yeah, I know how to do this." And there's a way to kind of we can figure out how to pull you in and make this live stream experience um, as a complement to live performances and venues. Um, I think it'll be a good thing. It'll be interesting to see what happens on the other end of this, whether some of this live streaming is acceptable. We put a lot of, we put a lot of production value into it and stuff. We try to, I'm not singing into the laptop. So uh, it's just me and my two boys kind of, you know, winging it every Monday night. It's been fun. Absolutely. I, I love the song about your grandfather's hat. Is that a new song? That's been around. Um, I, you know, I've got a bunch of CDs. We, you know, throw up, up throw them up on the internet to see who bites. Um, but it's, it's uh, that's been that's when I start doing. That's probably early, 
you know, like 2002 or three, I wrote that. Yeah. It's really for my dad, but it's, you know, my grandfather's the one I remembered wearing a hat like that. And, uh, but a lot of that stuff's in there is about my dad. We enjoyed the shout out to a son of Maine, Joshua Chamberlain, the other night as well. Yeah, yeah, I referenced that. That's that's one of the great roles for me. I I will never forget what I learned about uh, Chamberlain. Uh, he really was one of the great unsung American heroes, and uh, uh, it was a pleasure to play him. And uh, uh, it's it, uh, I, I still I'll never forget the speech on the hill to those Mainers to get them to uh, uh, come along with us. Um, um, I think it was, yeah, uh, there were a lot of people. That's what it was. There were like 300 guys on a hill and I had yet to kind of do Chamberlain in front of them. And a lot of those guys were from Maine and some of them had been Chamberlain in their own reenactments and things like that. And they, you know, they were the scholars, so they really were the critics and I had to walk out and beat them. And, and I did, I did great. And I'd worked hard on that speech. And from that day on, it was like, man, they'd have, uh, they'd have done anything for us. It was great. It was great. My wife went to a Dickinson university out in, uh, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And she went to Gettysburg, uh, when she was out there for a, a college reunion, picked me up a t-shirt that I, I still wear. It's got Chamberlain's likeness, but, uh, one of your most often said lines from the film, don't call me Lawrence. Yes. Yeah, I think that was a gift shop favorite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How much do you miss baseball, Jeff? Uh, I, I, I miss it. I, it was on every night. And uh, I'm a Detroit Tiger fan. So even when we're going through a huge rebuild, you want to follow up on the team here, the AAA, even the AA. Uh, I just did a film, and uh, one of the other actors was Michael Kelly, who was in. Uh, uh, House of Cards, and he's in the Jack Ryan series. And he's a huge Braves fan, and he got me into these apps that make you follow the double-A the team and the triple-A team and so that you're – by the he goes, you guys are, are – we're, we're where you were uh, three years ago. I mean, we're now three years down the road, and it's to see those kids grow up. So that I miss that. Uh, I miss the drama of it. I miss, you know – Three and two count, two outs, bases loaded. Does he hit it or not? Drama. I miss that. You lost your boyhood hero recently, and uh, yeah, for all of us who grew up, for me it was Carl Yastrzemski. Uh, for you, uh, Al Kaline, and, and what a, a beautiful song you've written about him. And uh, it's just, it was wonderful to watch that. Well, thank you. I I, uh, I wrote it for me. Uh, he passed away, and uh, he was the childhood hero. And, I had gone downstairs and uh, rummaged around and found the the bat that I had got on Tiger Bat Day, Detroit Tiger Bat Day, back in 1964 or something. And it was an Al Kaline bat. They'd had Norm Cash. They had, you know, whomever, Jake Wood. They had whomever they had. But it was, I got a Kaline bat. And that triggered the song. Now it's the story of a kid who got the bat. And now that, that he's passed away, what did your childhood hero mean to you? Did he live up to it? Did you learn anything from him? Did you take anything from him? And so it was a little bit of a kind of a musical examination on that, told through the story of this bat. And I, you know, I sent it to a friend of mine here in Detroit who plays and writes, and he's he's an anchor guy, anchor man, Devin Skillion. 
And he said, can I put it on my Sunday morning news show? There he does like a flashpoint before Meet the Press. And I said, sure. And they put K-Line video over it. And then locally, everybody just got excited about it. And then uh, then Cooperstown uh, called Devin and said, can we track Jeff down? We want the original lyrics. And then, you know, I just took a knee and wept openly. <laughs> I think anybody, any any kid that grew up uh, a baseball fan, when if if something of yours ends up in Cooperstown, I think that's probably an appropriate reaction. I I, I still don't know how to react. <laughs> I, I, I I don't know what to make of it. I I think they're going to send me a receipt. I FedExed the lyrics to them. You know they've got them. They're going to send back. I got to sign a form that means they can have them forever and all that. But so I I'm waiting for that. That's the suitable for framing thing for me. Yeah, the song also is is a lot about how baseball is is sort of a father son bonding event. I know it was with me and my dad too. He was a Cleveland Indians fan in New England for some reason, but him talking about listening to those games and keeping track of the box scores and all of that is something that I, I you know it's a great childhood memory of mine as well. Baseball does that. It it bonds father and son, father and daughter together. It, it really can. It's it's that thing they can do even when they don't understand each other. Um, I I I had a a, a great father experience, uh, but not everybody does. But it's that thing where maybe if I took him to a game, he we talk about baseball and not talk about the length of his hair or <laughs> how come he doesn't like me, whatever it might've been. It, it, you're right. It can be a, a connection. You can connect through baseball. So you got something to talk about. And then when your team does well, you know, like the tigers did back in 68, it's, 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 it's you and your dad and, and that team that you both share. It, it's, it's a real great bonding thing. I agree. I agree. We're talking with Jeff Daniels here on Downtown. Have to ask the the story that you told the other night about leaving your wife behind at the gas station. You, you said it was true. Honest? You promised it's true? It is true. It's absolutely <laughs> true. Slightly embellished laugh, but no, it's, uh, it, it happened. It happened. It happened. I'm not proud of it. I'm driving down the highway, and my son taps me on the shoulder and said, Dad, where's Mom? And it's just like you, you left her at a truck stop. <laughs> you're driving a recreational vehicle that you don't know how to drive, and you just left your wife at a truck stop. Have a good day. <laughs> uh, do you miss packing up the family? Because this would be around the time you'd be, in, in most years, uh, headed out to, to play music with your sons. Uh, well, we, we have done that. We have done that. We enjoy doing that. Um, I'm in, I must say I'm enjoying these virtual gigs a lot more because I can walk out to the recording studio and, come right to your venue and uh we're looking at that 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 eliminates a lot of you know drive time but i do i in particular i like going to the northwest i really there's such great audiences up there for songwriting and uh acoustic music so i i miss coming up near maine and and up in that area that's probably where we'd go if we ever went back up well the last time you were here we had a chance to to go backstage and and chat with you and and meet the dogs and and everybody else and and i i Remember you telling us it was right before, uh, a couple of months away from kicking off To Kill a Mockingbird, and you told us if we can get past the critics, if we can survive that, yeah. this thing is going to it's going to play forever on Broadway. And, and wow, you, you couldn't have been more right. It's become 
a classic of the American theater. Yeah, we we uh, we took a big swing with it. Um, the three main ones were "I'm Not Gregory Peck," <laughs> so you're going to have to get over that. And that, trust me, there were some speed bumps early on where you could just feel them kind of going. I knew it wasn't Gregory Peck. I was told it wasn't Gregory Peck, and now it really isn't. Okay, I'm okay. And they, you could just feel the audience kind of okay. And uh, and we played him as a small town lawyer who, you know, just handled, you know, basically land service agreements or what. He wasn't, this isn't what he does. And so he got thrown into it versus where the movie had, you know, Gregory Peck and the camera was looking up at him like he was Mount Rushmore (laughs) because it was from the viewpoint of an eight-year-old girl. And Aaron Sorkin, who who adapted it for for Broadway, made it, uh, Scout was, you know, maybe 28, looking back at when she was eight so she could see her father differently. And so we took that journey and the critics said, yes, that could have been a no. And, uh, you know, we had adults playing the kids that could have been a slap in the face. I mean, we, you just don't know. And then we got five-star reviews and we were sold out. I was in it for a year, sold out every show, every show. It was amazing. I'll never have experience like it. Roll of a lifetime. We enjoyed uh, hearing you narrate our friend Doris Kearns Goodwin's wonderful series on George Washington. Yeah, I love Doris. She uh, she came to Mockingbird. I had met her previously about something else, and uh, oh, I love her. I she I could listen to that woman for hours. You know, just drop a topic in front of her and let her go. Yeah. And uh, what's up with the new series, uh, Rust? I, obviously, you haven't been able to start production, but, uh, boy, it looks like a great lineup uh, with you, Maura Tierney, Dan Futterman involved. Uh, any status updates? Yeah, really good actors. Bill Camp's in there. Uh, we got some great younger actors that are really solid. Uh, it's based on a book by Philip Meyer called American Rust. It was out probably, I think it was 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've taken the spine of that story and spun it around kind of what's going on, you know, in southwestern Pennsylvania where people are, st- you know, people are struggling and good people are struggling. And um, it's just a mess. And uh, the drama is really complicated. We're looking forward to doing it. We were down there in Pittsburgh getting ready to shoot, and they said, we're shutting down. Go home. So we all turned around and came home. Monday night and the next two Monday nights, so you can go to uh, the Purple Rose uh, YouTube page to see it live, live and unplugged. Uh, Jeff doing a concert right there in your home from his home. Uh, check it out. I can't wait to see these next two. And we're g- going to post a link as well on our website. So if people want to help the theater directly, it'll be pretty easy for them to do that. And uh, well, uh, I don't know. It's still hard to hear the angels sing, isn't it, Jeff? It is. It is. It's, it's on the list of ones that might get in there eventually. Yeah. Yeah. It well, is. It's very hard to hear him sing right now. It sure is. Well, uh, Jeff, we appreciate you making time for us. Uh, as always, we wish you a continued good health and success. Stay safe out there, and, and good luck with that 7-iron as well. <laughs> Thank you, sir. See ya. Jeff Daniels, and again, next Monday night, the last of those online Monday night performances to benefit the Purple Rose Theater. You can watch any that you've missed on the Purple Rose Theater's YouTube page as well. But, yeah, we've said it before. What a good... Good guy, down to earth. It's so much fun to talk with Jeff Daniels. It is always a treat to have him on. And, uh, yeah, check out those shows. It, it It is a great hour of storytelling and music. And, I, man, I defy you to listen to his song 
about Al Kaline and and not have it get a little dusty wherever you are. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Well, that was fun. Now, that would be enough for the podcast right there, but we, we're just getting warmed up. When we come back, after this word from our friends at Cross, Cross Insurance, Richard Schiff, he and his wife Sheila Kelly doing something very cool. We'll talk about that, get Richard's take on the world as it is, and a great baseball conversation, too right after this. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Our next guest on the podcast won an Emmy Award and earned multiple nominations for his role as White House Communications Director Toby Ziegler on The West Wing. Lately, he stars and has also been a Golden Globe nominated for his work as Dr. Aaron Glassman on The Good Doctor. Richard Schiff uh, returns to the podcast this week, and, well, we talked about a lot of things with Richard. He and his wife, Sheila, going back and re-watching, and for him, watching for the first time, episodes of The West Wing. Also talked baseball and, and Richard's love of the game and reminisced about some of those Yankee teams and Red Sox teams that, well, the two of us grew up watching back in the day. Here's our conversation with Richard Schiff on Downtown, the podcast. Thank you so much for, for coming back on with us. Uh, how are you handling it during these interesting times? Uh, I wouldn't say uh, uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, given what others are going through, uh, you have to put it in perspective. <clears throat> and um, we're very lucky and very blessed to have family together and to be relatively safe and to be able to be fed and, and housed not, not everybody in America is, or in the world is certainly able to um, to have the uh, basics being taken care of, um, and neither am I on the front lines um, putting my life on the line uh, every day. Um, so, relative to the you know to what's happening out there, I, you know, I can't complain. I'm interested in your perspective on, on what we see happening out there with people uh, demanding that the country reopen, even though most states haven't even met the, the incredibly minimal standards established by the Trump administration. Is that really a, a, a do you think it's a sizable number of people or is it an incredibly vocal minority that seems to be getting an, an undue amount of coverage? Undue amount of coverage is key is a key idea here. Um, you know, uh, Trump instigates um, uh, a, a violent and loud reactions from a small number of people, and the press um, is still, I'm sure, um, enjoying their greatest ratings in decades. Um, and any way that they can stoke the fire, I think they will go ahead and do that. So uh, there was one picture of a, a demonstration early on in Michigan, I think it was, where there, uh, a bird's eye view showed 100 people, you know. Um, uh, and you can get uh, uh, a demonstration of 100 people that, that is not um, as, uh, as interesting, that won't get covered uh, uh, by the press. 
Well, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's undue coverage, but I, I, I certainly understand uh, people who legitimately are afraid of um, not have putting food on the table. Um, but this idea of liberating Michigan and liberating uh, uh, states that uh, uh, where governors have been uh, critical of, of Trump is uh, mind-boggling, as is almost everything that comes out of the administration. Um, you know, including uh, uh, putting a muffle on the CDC and, and altering uh, uh, surveys. Um, you know, changing uh, uh, the CDC yesterday removed a, a, a survey out of Washington. It was a Washington University where um, they, they were using a model of projected deaths, which was um, favorable to Trump's vision of what's going to happen. Those. Um, Projections were altered for the worst for, um, by a huge amount, a great degree, yesterday because of the lack of uh, proper mitigation, and uh, the CDC removed the survey from their website. So um, we're living in uh, the times are scary enough without having um, uh, a person in charge who is uh, seems to be intent on destruction uh, as, as vast and as wide as possible. His only motive, if you read his books, is vengeance, mm. and his only capability is to destroy, and that's who we have uh, running the show. Um, so, uh, you know, it's very dire, in my, in my view. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just wondering how you think, how do we get to this point in America? I, mean, I guess what I'm talking about especially is the denial of facts, and that, that didn't begin with Trump. He certainly uh, used that as a, as a boost to his popularity, but... Where did we get this notion in America that science doesn't matter anymore and that facts are open to interpretation? Well, I've been reading some history about all this, you know, and um, uh, apparently this uh, idea that you can uh, bend the truth um, uh, in favor of the propaganda you want to disseminate, you know, uh, is not new. It's old as um, as old as a, as a country barn. It's... Um, I think it was first uh, uh, first uh, talked about um, in, on a great scale in the 1920s, and um, Walter Lippmann was a reporter back then who wrote about um, uh, how uh, mass uh, the, the mass uh, the masses in in a democracy. That's that, that's at a time when everything was getting big, you know, and industry was was growing out of proportion. Uh, population was growing, was was um, expanding uh, at a at a scary rate um, in the 1920s, and he wrote a piece where you know uh, that uh, the masses were capable of being swayed by propaganda, and and you had William Randolph first, who was the first to mm. to. Uh, um, he used yellow journalism and lies and propaganda and um, was actually bent on fascism back then. Um, and as you as you move towards, um, you know, uh, Hitler's takeover in Germany and the Nazis and, and other dictators around the world in the, in the 20s and 30s, and mostly the 30s, you, you see the use of propaganda. You know, Goebbels in Germany, um, uh, the, the propaganda machine of the, of the Steve Bannons and the, and the and the Steve Millers and um, Jared Kushner's is right out of the Goebbels playbook. It's right out of how to become a dictator. You know, Germany was one of the great democracies in the world, one of the great 
um, uh, social uh, progressive um, places of culture and learning and and freedom in the world. And uh, look what it turned into in the 1930s. So, uh, you know, I always wondered growing up, um, ten, you know, being born 10 years after World War II, 10 years after the, you know, the atrocities of the Holocaust were uncovered, you know, how the world could have, how a country, how a people could uh, lend themselves to that kind of horror. And uh, never understood it. But now I get it. I totally get it. People are easily swayed. And uh, when people are on, um, on a mass level are feel jilted or betrayed, as I think they have from the Democratic Party over decades, not all, not all the fault of, of, of good-intentioned uh, Democratic um, leaders and presidents, but because of, uh, of a um, obstructional Congress and a, and a mixed government. You know, the only time we've ever had real progress uh, in this country in terms of freedoms and civil rights and um, e- equality in, um, in, in culture and in, in society, um, a less, uh, dis- less of a disparity of wealth and all and such, is only when we've had a unified uh, Congress and a unified president. So that happened during the, the New Deal in the 1930s, and that happened briefly in the 1960s with LBJ and the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act and so on. And the Republicans have, you know, have brilliantly uh, figured out how to uh, use propaganda and um, and steal the uh, the Democratic, the old Democratic South, um, and uh, and use religion and use guns and use um, abortion and all of these issues to divide and split and conquer. And it, what's fascinating in reading the history is that, you know, uh, uh, Nixon, Reagan were uh, equal rights. Uh, equal ERA supporters, uh, mm. supporters of um, family planning, if not actual abortion. You know, Planned Parenthood was something that Republicans could get behind back in the city. Somebody figured out if we divide America, we could take this country. And um, and the GOP has done a brilliant job of doing that. And uh, this monstrosity in the office is something that they're not only willing to accept, because people... People assume that, they're, that, that, that Republicans in Congress are afraid of Trump and his retribution. I don't buy that for a second. I think they're very quietly and happily supporting getting um, conservative, neoconservative judges, incompetent or not, in the courts and, um, and, uh, and, and creating a greater disparity of wealth than we've ever seen in our history. So it, it doesn't, <laughs> it's not a happy picture from what I'm reading. We're talking with Richard Schiff here on Downtown. Well, let's focus on something a little bit happier. You and your wife, Sheila Kelly, doing something that looks very fun, has had a great early response. Are so you going back uh, to the very beginning of the West Wing and watching those episodes? And, and is it right that this is the first time you, you've watched all the episodes? It's the first time I've seen a lot of them. You know, but uh, Josh Molina and Rishi, uh, his partner, had created West Wing Weekly which was every week they, they watched the new episode and talked about it and had guests on. And I was a guest on that probably seven, eight or nine times. And so I watched shows uh, to prepare for, you know, my visit on, on their podcast. But, um, and I've seen a few here and there, uh, but yeah, i for the most part, I've not seen um, very many of the, of the West Wing. So we started 
um, as an idea, as a way, because people have asked, you know, and, and as a way to kind of take our minds off uh, things. And, and um, apparently on Twitter, a number of frontline workers uh, find these sessions to be a, a nice respite from from real, from the real world. So, so we're doing it. It's not as as fun and as easy as I thought because <laughs> I have to watch myself and go through all those emotional uh, uh, moments. You know, from from the time of acting acting uh, in these shows, but also you know the the uh, I, I'm reliving kind of the time of of. Uh, of shooting the West Wing, and you know, well, many of the many of those memories are great and fun. There are some that aren't so great, so it's kind of interesting to to relive it. And I really should write it all down. But in the meantime, we're doing, uh, you know, we tried to do once a, a, one a night, but um, that's been a little problematic. We we having trouble with our internet here because everyone's home using their internet, mm. so our internet is a little a little, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, weak. But um, overall, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, getting the family together. My kids have never seen, um, haven't seen very many shows either. Um, my wife, uh, Sheila, hasn't seen them all, so it's kind of fun. We're en- we're enjoying it, and and it's interesting to see people's reactions uh, to issues that um, you know are still relevant today, and the way uh, that fictional uh, White House. Um, at the very least, uh, try to do the right thing, you know. Well, it's good to see a functioning White House and government, but but more than that, the idea that you've got people on both sides trying to do what's best for the people, and, and that's something that, to me, is the greatest thing we've lost in the last well, few years. What's fascinating is that you see just the first few shows, um, uh, you're seeing stuff like the gun bill and the episode Five Votes Down, which is the early show, about how they were... Um, the, the, the West Wing, uh, the Bartlett administration, was bent upon getting that bill passed, despite um, a writer that was attached to it, the strip mine in Montana, which got them all in a huff. Um, and uh, and in the end, you realize that the bill is not going to do anything. It's just that they needed a victory. Mm. And it, it's a when you think about it, it's a very realistic portrayal of of. Uh, how difficult it is to govern, and especially in a split Congress, because the Bartlett uh, presidency had a had a um, Republican uh, House, and um, uh, and the reality that you know compromise is 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 your best bet, and any progress is incremental and not um, and not sweeping, you know, and and just the first few episodes it reminded me of how accurate and Sorkin was in, in depicting a, uh, a realistic uh, administration, which, you know, at, at its best, loses a lot. Think about their greatest accomplishment. It was getting Mendoza, the Hispanic, uh, mm. on the Supreme Court. What else did they really do? Right. You know, they, they, didn't, they didn't solve uh, India-Pakistan. They didn't uh, create peace in the Middle East. You know, uh, disparity of wealth was worse. Uh, it still got worse. Um uh, as they want, you know what I mean. So, but it was it was very it's very um, soothing to see people who actually want to leave the world a better place than how they found it, despite their failures. And that's what I think is so rewarding about it. 
I've watched uh, countless times most of the episodes, and then the ensemble is so incredible. We know the writing is great, but I, I have to say there's there's a special magic when you and John Spencer are in a scene together. Aww. Well, that's very sweet. I, I, I've been um, so appreciating uh, watching John's work, which I absolutely adored in the doing of it years ago. Um I always cherished our scenes together because we would literally forget who was on camera and um, that we we had cameras. It was almost like being on stage with him. And um, so committed was he, and he he absolutely loved every second of uh, of, of acting and acting on that show in particular. You know, he and Martin adored each other. Uh, he was so supportive and so loving and and so great and um, demanding when we were, you know, when he was on set. So thank you for that. I, I take that as a huge compliment to, because um, he was such a, such a, such an artist and such a great actor. I know you're a big baseball guy. Or are you missing it a lot right now? Somebody tweeted today that they, they put their dog in a Red Sox uniform so he could boo them. <laughs> he could boo his dog. And I, and I tweeted back, send your dog over to my neighborhood so I can partake. Um, <laughs> I I do miss it. Um, I I um, every every year I I tape every game, um, and I and I'll even if I have to speed through it, I'll I'll watch every pitch. Um, I love the how how um, an entire season unfolds. You know, I love that it's a marathon and that things change as, as teams get healthy and or get hot and all that stuff. It's like it each each season is an epic novel, you know. And and uh, I uh, I really miss uh, spending my my day my afternoons um, with the Yankees on while I do my work in my office. Yeah. Do you remember the first game you went to as a kid? Of course, it was Ted Williams. Oh wow! Nineteen, I think it was either sixty or sixty-one. I was five years old, and um, my grandfather, who was an old Brooklyn Dodger fan, um, took me to Yankee Stadium. There was no Dodgers. The Dodgers had left. The Mets hadn't been born yet. Giants had left. And as much as my grandfather hated the Yankees, he turned me into a Yankee fan because there was no other team in town. And so we went to uh, that game. Um, I don't remember it much, but I do remember 1962 uh, being taken to Game 5 of the World Series against the Giants, mm. and I remember I remember seeing it to this day. My father lifted me up as Tom Tresh hit a three-run home run in the bottom of the eighth inning into the right field seats, and the Yankees won that game and also won the series. That was the first game I remember. Yeah. Who was your favorite player as a kid? Well, you know, you had to go with the Mick. You Mickey Mantle. Uh, we all went in the playgrounds uh, to imitate him. You know, I, I caught the, the back half of his career after he was hurt and maybe had a couple of good years left. But I did see his 500 home run live on May 14, 1967, um, which uh, which made me cry as he trotted, as he limped around the base. Mm. He also went two for four that day. He had a single to center as well. Um, but I also loved the utility players. You know, I loved guys like Hector Lopez. And um, over the years, you know, um, uh, the guys that uh, that got an opportunity and made the best of it. Um, uh, was it Brian Doyle? Remember in 1970? Yes. Oh, yes. 
Willie Randolph got hurt, and uh, he took over second base. He was Denny Doyle's brother. Denny Doyle was on the Red Sox. And um, didn't do much else, but he hit like 400 in that World Series. And by rights, you know, Bucky Dent, I think that's the MVP, but I think by rights, um, uh, it should have been Brian Doyle. I don't know if Dent, uh, who got the MVP medals? Or Dent, uh, maybe it's Bucky Dent, but Brian Doyle had a phenomenal series filling in um, in that moment. Uh, uh, and that was the highlight of his career. I, I always loved those guys that were able to fill lens of the early 60s. Mm. So I later played uh, softball. He had a bar in the, in the bar league in, in New York, and I played, um, my team played against him. Joe Pepitone was on his team. <laughs> and um, I remember, uh, and I was a pretty good third baseman, I, I made a, a, a stop of a ball to my right playing third, uh, and rolled over after snaring the ground the grounder down the line. I popped up and threw a chest high bullet to first. And Phil Lins goes, uh, he's you know right there in the bleachers. I did it right in front of him. And he goes, uh, nice play, third. And I uh, said to him, I learned watching you, Phil. <laughs> and a big smile came on his face. And that was that. That's a memory that that I'll always have. Oh, that's great. You mentioned that, that 67 season. I think it was the first game I went to uh, you know, here in New England was at Fenway Park, but the Red Sox were playing the Yankees, and uh, it was uh, Mickey's next to last season. And I remember watching yeah. him hit a ground ball to short, and he only got about halfway down the first baseline and just rounded off and headed for the dugout because you know, the knees were, were so bad even then. I wish I'd seen him in those early days back in the 50s when he was, I think, along with Mays, the greatest player in the game. Well, you know, I think only only Tim Raines has been timed from from home to first from the left hand side faster than Mantle, and he was the fastest uh, in baseball back then, home to first plus Mays from the right side, and um, yeah, and he could have stolen forty bases a year if he wanted to. He, you know, like years later when somebody when Bonds or somebody Barry Bonds or I mean Bobby Bonds. Somebody had made it to 30-30, 30, 30 home runs, 30 strong base. And Mantle said, if I knew that was a big deal, I could have stolen 50. <laughs> <laughs> but he was uh, he was super fast and incredibly powerful. You know, no one, back in the old days, people forget that the stadiums were so much bigger. And so straightaway center field was 461 feet in Yankee Stadium with a 17-foot high fence. And only one player ever hit the ball over the center field fence um, for a home run in Yankee Stadium. And he did it twice, and that was Mickey Mantle. Not even Babe Ruth. Uh, you know, all the great power hitters, Harmon Killebrew, who played in the American League. No one hit it over the center field fence except Mantle. And it, it needed to go 500 feet to clear that 17-foot fence. You know, So the power that he had, and I always wonder, you know, what if he had played in Atlanta? Where Hank Aaron piled up all those home runs, or even in this, in the in the current Yankee Stadium, can you imagine? Because oh. he had gap power. Right. I used to see him hit 450 foot ground rule doubles to left center. You know, I saw him hit a shot over the second baseman's head that ricocheted off the auxiliary scoreboard in right center, which was, by the way, they, they think it's a short. It was a short fence. It was 407 to right center. <laughs> While it was short to right, it was 407 to right center ricocheted off the scoreboard to the center fielder just as he turned around to go get it. And Mantle was held to a single 
because he can hit the ball so hard. You know, he's got, he had uh, incredible power. He wasn't a great defender, but he had great power and um, obviously hit his highest 365 one year. So he had it all, but had it not been for the drinking and for the injuries. Yeah. I'd love to see him play in this era oh. with uh, the technology of, of fitness, you know, and the regimens that uh, these modern athletes have, what he would have accomplished, you know. Hopefully we can get some baseball back at some point. I, I even checked out some of the Korean Baseball League just to see a little bit of baseball action. I, I saw that they, they opened with uh, no fans, right? Right. Um, and I think, do you think we're going to do that this summer? I hope so. I mean, I, I don't think there'll be fans anywhere in any American ballparks, but uh, I hope they're able to get back. I, I miss it, and I miss just the, the diversion to, to get away from, well, the horrors of everyday life. It won't be really. It really won't be too hard, uh, too much different than going to Yankee Stadium in the in the mid to late nineteen sixties, <laughs> um, and seeing Mantle hit a home run into an empty, uh, you know, bleachers, because there was only fifteen thousand fans, maybe eighteen thousand going to games back then. The Yankees were bad. Mantle was old, and uh, and baseball was kind of dying there for a minute. Remember back in those right. days, the Red Sox were different because they had a great team in sixty seven. Well, that's right. I, I grew up, I came of age when the Yankees, you know, I was uh, I was six when they had won their last World Series in 64. So by the time I was really paying close attention, the Yankees are, were made up of the, the Jake Gibbs, the Horace Clarks of the world. And uh, yeah. I, I didn't have the hatred that some of us uh, fellow Red Sox fans have had. And I always right. liked a lot of the Yankees through the years. You know, Bobby Mercer uh, was, was somebody I always enjoyed watching play. And Mel Stottlemyre was one of my favorites as a kid. Stottlemyre. Stottlemyre was three-time 20-game winner with right. a lifetime 297 ERA. He was my favorite. I loved him. And I got to meet him in Dodger Stadium when the Yankees were playing an exhibition game there. And he, uh, on the left field line, I said, yo, Mel, how are you? He comes over and he gave my son a ball and signed it. Oh, that's it great. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, Horace Clark with Jake Gibbs. Yankees didn't win in 64. Cardinals beat him. Well, in that's seven. right. That's right. Their last their last one was the one that I saw, 62, because they lost to the Dodgers in four and 63, Koufax and Drysdale, and um, lost in seven to the Cards, and then were gone. They were done at last place for like four or five straight years. Horace Clark, Jake Gibbs. Um, they had a couple of uh, Steve Whitaker, and mm. had to be a bust. Um, but you guys had Yaz, and you had uh, Dewey Evans, right? In 67, or did that come later? Uh, 67 was Tony Canigliero, although he got beaned in, in yeah, August and missed the last couple months. But Reggie Smith yeah. as a young player. George Reggie. Scott had a great year. That's right. George Scott, the first baseman. And, uh, and you had, um, what was your catcher? Uh, catcher was uh, Russ Gibson, primarily uh, rotation of catchers. They well actually got Elston Howard from the Yankees right. fairly early that, in the that, season. That was very disturbing. <laughs> that was the first. Uh, that was the first time I saw a Yankee in a Red Sox uniform. By the way, I never got used to the Red Sox coming to the Yankees as much as uh, I, I appreciated. Um, what's his name with the hair? Johnny Damon. Johnny Damon, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and by the way, Wade Boggs won a championship with yeah. us too. I was like, "What's this Red Sox doing in pinstripes? Get him out of here!" <laughs> I didn't want him. I didn't want Damon either. 
I love I, it. I, so, Clemens was another story because Clemens uh, went came via Toronto. He didn't come That's directly right. from Boston. And Boston had given up on him. You know, but of course, they didn't know he was going to be taking steroids. <laughs> Well, Richard, it's a great to talk with you uh, again and wonderful to talk some baseball, get our mind off the rest of the world. I love what you're doing with the West Wing. You're going to try and start it up again this Friday? Yeah, we we, we, we did a session yesterday, and, and apparently our Internet got messed up. And so my son is working on that, and we're hoping uh, we get somebody out here on Thursday and we can start up again on Friday. And it's that episode in Excelsior's Deo with mm. People have voted as their favorite West Wing episode, and of course, it's the one with the homeless veteran. Um, and uh, uh, and I hope to get a special guest on there, um, and we'll see uh, someone of national um, notoriety who might be able to join us, and we'll see. Um, uh, yeah, and so we're looking forward to it, and people should join us. It's 4, 4 p.m. Pacific time, um, but they can always catch it um uh, via Periscope or it's uh, or Twitter that stays on Twitter so people can find them and, and catch up if they want. That's wonderful. Well, we're looking forward to it. Richard, thanks so much for making time for us uh, this afternoon. Well, we wish you and your family well. Stay safe, and then we'll talk again sometime. Yeah, stay safe. Thank you so much. Same back at you, and it was a pleasure. Take care now. Man, that was fun. Another good guy, Richard Schiff. Um, second time he's been on with us and so generous with his time. And so fun to get going. He's uh, he's an interesting guy all around, from from baseball to his activism. He's uh, he's the real deal. Absolutely, and uh, the the baseball discussion at the end was just great. Uh, you know, it it's wonderful when a one simple question can lead to a conversation like that. Yeah, a whole bunch of baseball talk there. Looking back, and sorry if it was. Older than players you remember, but you know, Richard and I are both, we're, we're old guys. That's uh, what we do. That's going to wrap it up for us. Our thanks to Richard Schiff and Jeff Daniels, and thanks to you for joining us this week. We'll catch you next time on Downtown, the podcast.